0: I'm going to take uh, a long time, 10 or 15 minutes, I think, this morning with my introduction. And I'm going to go through the sermon portion of it quickly. Um, what I, and, and there's a reason for that. We're in the middle of a sermon series called The Good Fight. And I'm dealing with what I personally believe is a fairly uh, complex um, teaching on the overall fight of the Christian life. Um, trying to do and, and be able to, to, to live our life the way Paul did so that at the end of it, we can say like he did, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. And it is a sermon series. It looks like it's going to take about eight, eight to 10 messages to get through. Uh, hopefully eight. But I've been gone for two weeks. What I want us to do, because What happens today is we come to the conclusion of the first half of this sermon series. And what I don't want to do is just jump straight to the conclusion when you guys have had three weeks to have your minds thinking about everything else. And so what I want to do is take what I've did in the first four weeks of this sermon series and and just put it in a nutshell in the next 10 to 15 minutes. I think it'll be helpful for you, even if you've been following the sermon series, it will be especially helpful if you haven't. Maybe you're visiting this morning, or you haven't heard the first four messages, and so just give me 10 or 15 minutes to get through my introduction, and don't get nervous, you know, that, wow, he hasn't even got to his first point, and it's 9.45, so, okay. We are talking about this fight, the good fight. In week one, we discussed the reality that some fights are good, that there are good battles, there are fights that we are called to. But the fight that Paul references is not necessarily a physical fight of hands, it is a spiritual fight. And in the first week, we just kind of covered some basic truths about war that like, War is imminent. Spiritual warfare is is not like possibly you're going to go through some of it in your Christian life. No, you will go through it. We discussed the reality that not being prepared for war is basically the same thing as being prepared for failure. If you don't know your enemy's strategies to take you down, you're just going to continue to fall Over the last several weeks, we've been dealing with what is, in my opinion, the greatest battle of the Christian faith. And that is that war within where we struggle with with feeling like we can approach God with confidence. We feel ashamed of ourselves because we have a sinful nature that still desires to sin. And one of the very first things that we must learn to conquer is how as a christian to move beyond this constant shame, you know, where, where we feel terrible because we did bad, and then all of a sudden we you know we have a good week so we feel pretty good, and then we get caught up in the same old trip and uh, same old sin or same old trap and we feel bad and there's just this constant feeling of god could never use me, i could never be anything great for god. There's i'm just such a failure, i'm just so I'm just such a sinner that God could never do anything good with me. You need to understand that is right where Satan wants you to stay as a Christian your whole life, and he will keep you there if he can. Now, what I'm about to say is just a recap, right? Those of you that have heard the messages, you're going to know this is a recap. If you hear it and you're like, wait, I don't understand that, and you haven't heard the messages, you need to go back and listen. How do we overcome that constant thing of shame if you are part of this sermon series you'll know it's not by being better it's not by shaming yourself into being better it is only by understanding how god deals with it and if you'll remember what matters is how god deals with it after all he's the one that we want to be able to present ourselves to right it's him He's the one, if you, if, you, if you get your mind and your heart right and you, and, you, and you concentrate here, he's the one you're concerned about. You want to be able to feel like God is pleased with you. And so what we learned was we have to quit looking at how we think it should be and we have to look at how God says it should be. And God says there's two major things that are wrong with you. Number one, what you've done, your sins. And number two, who you are concerning your old nature. It's not just that you sinned, it's that you wanted to. So he says, those are your two major issues. The first one, what you have done, here's how I deal with that. All of your sins are dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the blood of Jesus that atones for your sins, And so when I have sinned, I have to understand I do not earn my way back into right standing with God by somehow atoning for my own sins. Something we Christians, especially as young Christians, we tend to try to do. Our atonement looks very different than than the blood of Jesus. You know, for us, our atonement might be that we're going to try to go, we're going to fast. You know, that's what I'm going to do to make up for it. I'm going to get back to church. I'm going to go to church, you know, for eight times in a row, and I'm not going to miss a service. That's what I'm going to do to make up for it. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to read more. You all, all of us kind of come up with our own ways to atone for our sins. What I'm about to say is a strong statement. But what we learned is that that is to make a mockery out of the blood of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with repenting. We should repent of our sins. Don't misunderstand me. But to think that our repenting somehow pays for the sins or brings us into right standing with God is to assume that the blood of Jesus is not sufficient in and of itself. Now, I made this statement. If the blood satisfies God, it must satisfy you. Now, Paul dealt with some of the same issues that I tend to fear when I preach these things. Paul dealt with people saying, well, well, if that's the case, then why not just go on and sin, brother? Paul says a thousand times, No, absolutely not. Just because that is true does not give you a license to go out and sin. And if you Truly get a hold of how great the blood of Jesus is and how complete God's plan for your life is, the last thing you're going to want to do is run out and trample on that grace. But it does not change the fact we are only right with God. Our sins are only and always dealt with in Christ. It's what He did. I had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was Him. And so we learned, okay, so so my sins, the things I've done and in the future, even if I find myself falling and I sin against God, I have the confidence that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for me. I don't have to worry that I'm going to do something tomorrow or a week from now, and all of a sudden God's not going to love me anymore, and I'm not going to be right with God anymore. I don't have to fear. I don't have to live in that type of fear. I trust in the blood of Jesus. Next, God says, but now let's deal with that part of you that wants to sin. Because here's where you'll find as a Christian, that is probably the most appalling part of us. This, This part, I had to take two full sermons just to deal with. Sermon three, sermon four. But in a nutshell, here's what we learned. God said that the wicked, sinful, old nature is so wicked, he's actually not going to change it. That's not his intention. He's not going to revive the old Adam. He's not going to change the old Adam. Instead, God gives us a new nature. And when you're truly saved, you end up with a dual nature. Your new man that loves God, wants to honor God, wants to please God, is convicted when you sin against God. And then that old nature that's still very selfish, that is still very all about me, that still tries to make excuses for sin, that still tries to rationalize sin. And what happens is, in the life of the Christian, we we become so focused on that old nature that it strips us of our joy. And I shared my story of spending years of my Christian life trying to change the old nature, not knowing God said he's never going to change them. In fact, God said, the spirit side of me wars, like at war, with the flesh side of me. It's it's all over, like, you know, we're, we're to live for the spirit, not for the flesh. Now, how does God deal with the flesh nature? The answer again, in Christ. We read it. God says, I see that part of you as a nail to the cross. It's already dealt with. It's already punished. It's good for nothing but death. And ultimately, when you do die, that'll be the final death, the complete and eternal death of the old nature. And for a Christian, you end up getting a glorified body. Until then, how do we win the battle over the flesh? Here's the important answer. We stop focusing on it. We stop trying to change the flesh. We stop feeling shame, you know, ashamed because we have a flesh nature. And I recognize that's not who I am anymore. I've got a new nature. And instead of spending all my time focusing on the old me and why he won't change and why he's so stinking selfish, just don't listen to him. See him as dead to you. You're, he, you are he. You no longer, uh, how, how's it say, sin no longer has dominion over you. It doesn't rule you anymore. Is not the boss anymore. I've got a new master who has dominion over me. We did an exercise where I asked those of you that were willing to spend a week trying to settle it in your heart, pay very close attention to your life, is the old man dead? Most of you, if not all of you, came back a week later with your head down like my old man is not dead. And here was the important piece of overcoming that constant feeling. The reason that we come back feeling that way is because we spent the whole week looking in the wrong place. You're looking inside. You're looking at the old man. You're looking at the old feelings. Trying to determine if the old man is dead. What we learned is that you must stop looking in the wrong place or you will never come to the conclusion your old man is dead. There is only one place you can look, and that is at the cross, Amen. in Christ. You must choose consciously when trying to answer this question, is the old man dead? You must choose to stop looking inside of yourself, and you must look in Christ because that's where God looks when God tries to settle the question Christian brother or sister is your old nature dead is your old man crucified God does not look inside of you to answer that question he looks to the cross and says you my child are in Christ and there on the cross in Christ your old man was crucified it's done it's over And so we have to reckon it so, reconcile. We have to to come to the conclusion that concerning what I've done and concerning the old nature, I am completely and totally right in the sight of God, not because of anything I've done, but because of the completeness of the work of Jesus on the cross. I want to say it this way. And we're going to get to this morning's message. What matters is that you are in Christ. That's what matters to God. It must be what matters to you. It's what satisfies God. It must be what satisfies you. Now, let me say it this way, and I hope it sinks into your heart. It is what makes you right with God. It must be what makes you right with you. You know, we often feel like we're, we, we live in shame. And here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, like, I use really strong statements, and it's just the way I think. I promise you this. I use a lot stronger statements with myself than I use with you. But when I was grappling with this, this was the statement that God used to just wrench my heart and make me stop arguing about the old nature. He said, Joplin, you think you're more righteous than God himself. I mean, God is satisfied. God is satisfied with you, and and, and, in Christ it's complete. But you're not satisfied, Joplin. You don't think it's good enough. You think your plan is better than God's plan." You think that your way is more perfect than God's way. You're not satisfied with just accepting the truth that the old nature is dealt with in Christ. You want to do something more about it, Joplin. And in that moment for me, when my mind and my heart could see it that way, I made a decision that I am done arguing with God about it. I am done trying to change the old nature. I am done trying to resurrect the old Adam. I am satisfied with the answer of God. God says it's dealt with. I have to be okay with it myself. And if God says he's okay with me, then I've got to be okay with me. Are you kidding me? God's not ashamed of me, but I am. And I realized, as hard as this was for me to accept, I realized how little I was appreciating the work of the cross. I would have never said that before because I didn't believe it before. Because I didn't know before how complete the work of the cross is. So, with that said, today we're going to draw three big conclusions. For those of us who are in Christ, and we're going we're gonna to finish off this whole piece about the war within, three conclusions for those who are in Christ, we're going to see them all right here in Romans chapter 6. Number one this morning, there is another reckoning. There is another reckoning. This will only make sense to those of you who have been following the sermon series The last message, I spoke about reconciling yourselves dead to sin. I don't have the time, because we're already at 9.50, to go into all of that. So, if you don't understand it, please go back and watch. But I want you to note something about reckoning yourselves dead to sin. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. So... You also must consider yourselves dead to sin. We dealt with that. But look, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must understand something. As a child of God, through the blood of Jesus, your sins are dealt with. Through the cross of Christ. Your sin nature is dealt with. But through the resurrection of Christ, just as he rose from the dead, so now you walk in the newness of life. You must reckon yourself alive to God. He goes on to say, present yourself to God. This is the whole goal. Of Romans 1 through 6, getting you to understand as a child of God, you have every right to boldly present yourself to God. Totally unashamed. God, here am I. Send me. God, whatever the need is, use my life to honor you. To get past the place of feeling shame, like God could not use me, God used somebody else, God choose somebody else. No, 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 no. My sins are entirely dealt with in Christ. My old nature is entirely dealt with in Christ. I am alive to God, and therefore I can present myself to God to be used for His glory. Amen. There is a purpose for it all, brothers and sisters. It's not just about paying for your sins. That's why I love this turning point in the sermon series, because the whole first part just deals with the negativity of sin and the sin nature. But if we never get past that negativity, we're not willing to step into, God, I'm a soldier ready for war. Send me into battle. You've got to reckon yourself alive to God. There is a purpose. God didn't just cleanse you of your sins and deal with your old nature just because You are bad. God has a purpose for you, brother. God has a purpose for you, sister. You have a role in the kingdom of God, and you must reckon yourself. You've got to reconcile it. Do the math. Get it settled. It's all done. It's all complete. You, child of God, need to present yourself to God to be used for his glory. There is another reckoning that you have got to come to grips with. You are alive to God. Number two... Notice there are actions to take. While Jesus dealt with all of the actions necessary to bring us into right standing with God, there are still actions God expects of us in response to the greatness of the cross. We see these in verses 12 through 14. Number one, do not let sin reign. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Such important terminology. It doesn't say don't let the sin nature exist. We've already dealt with that. It says don't let it reign. You know, so many people are so mistaken into thinking, God, if you just get rid of this old sin nature and I was never tempted, I would quit sinning. That's called heaven, folks. That's that's what's gonna make heaven, one of the things gonna make heaven so fantastic. But it's not life on earth. However, get it settled, brother. Get it settled, sister. You have the choice not to let sin, the old nature of sin, reign anymore over you. You don't have to obey every lust. You don't have to obey every passion. Instead, you are a child of God, and you can obey the spirit of God, obey God, obey the word of God, obey the commands of God. This is where we must take action and choose to not let sin reign. It's no longer going to rule me. It's not going to control me. Doesn't mean I'm never going to hear its voice. Doesn't mean I'm never going to have to look at it and say, no, but it no longer should reign in my life. That's one of the actions we need to take. Do not present your body for sin. You know, there's, there's other passages in the New Testament that deal with the same concept of not presenting your body for sin. One tells us to abstain from the very appearance of evil. You have to see how deadly and dangerous sin is, and you need to see the cost that was paid so that you could be right with God. And when you do, you'll realize, I don't want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to walk the line. I don't want, Pastor Joplin, could you please tell me how far can I go before it becomes sin? Is that sin right there? No? Okay, what about this? That's just a bad way to live, man. Asking yourself how close can you live to temptation before you break is a disaster for breaking to temptation. Do not present your members to sin. Don't put yourself in places that you're going to be tempted to sin. Don't put yourself around people who tempt you to sin. Just recognize you want to be someone who presents yourself to God, which is the third action. Present yourself to God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will sincerely bring confidence to some of your hearts of presenting yourself to God. Unashamed. I mean boldly like, God, here I am. I'll tell you why I'm usable, God. I'll tell you why I'm righteous. Because of the blood of Jesus. It don't have anything to do with me. It is the blood of Jesus. And that old nasty nature that I hate so much, you've already dealt with that too. In the cross of Jesus... And so, God, I stand before you cleansed, not because of anything I've done, but all because of Jesus. But I know and I trust and I believe your word and I believe you and I believe in the final work of the cross. And because of all of that, I present myself to you. God, use me. Use me today to advance your kingdom. Use me today to win the lost. Use me today any way that you want. God, here am I. Every child of God should be able, with a sense of great confidence, to present ourselves to God. And I want you to note it is a command. It is a command to present yourself to God. It is an action you are responsible to take, not after you get done with seminary, not after you can name all 66 books of the Bible. Not after you sound like a great theologian. Not after two years of church under your belt. Not after your first service or your first whatever. Not after any of that. You are to present yourself to God based upon two things. The blood of Jesus cleanses you of your sins. Three things, really. The cross of Christ deals with your old nature, and the resurrection of Christ has given you new life. It's all because of Jesus, and on that, and on that alone, God, here I am. I present myself to you. Use me, God, for your glory. There is another reckoning. There are actions to take, and number three, I want you to notice a new era has dawned. This is the third conclusion I want you to see this morning for those who are in Christ. A new era has dawned. Look at the last sentence of our text, verse 14 this morning. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. A new era has dawned for those of us who are in Christ. We are under grace. That's an interesting word, under. It deals with authority, it deals with dominion. In fact, most of the thought process here in this text is dominion who reigns, who has dominion, who is in control. Paul goes on to deal with, if you remember, the the woman whose husband died, the slave who has a new master. It's all about dominion and control. And so that word to be under something means that something else has dominion over you. You know what has dominion over the child of God? Grace. That's a powerful thought. I want to take just a moment to explain what grace is because some folks maybe don't know. In a really prepackaged statement, grace means undeserved favor. Grace is unearned. Do you imagine your boss trying to tell you he was gracious because he went ahead and paid you for all of your work? It's not grace, it was a deal, man. You owed me the time. Grace is undeserved. It's like, you know what? You don't deserve this, there's not anything you've done that would merit me doing this. It's not like you've been so good so finally you get a cookie. It's undeserved. There's actually no reason for it other than God just loves you and wants to be good to you because he loves you. That's the motive. Don't have anything to do with you. He says this is the master you are now under grace? I am living in an era as a person who is in Christ, as a Christian. I am now living in an era where grace is my master. God is just going to be good because God is good. I'm telling you. I, I don't. I don't know. I. I don't know how else to say these things. There are words we've heard all of our life if you've been in church, and it's like the Holy Spirit's just going to have to make this thing come to life in you. When I I understood these truths, it radically transformed my Christian life. And what's, what's true about that statement is that my life didn't look any different. And here it did. I mean, I constantly lived with, like, fear that maybe God wouldn't use me this morning. I didn't fast enough this week. But as far as on the outside, what it looked like, I mean, I was my life this week and my life now after I've understood living in grace, they look the same. The difference is I've learned that in order for God to move and show up this morning is not really dependent upon my actions. God's ability to use me, it all comes down to his grace. And no matter how well I live as a Christian, It's still his grace, it's undeserved, unmerited favor that brings about the work of God in our lives. I live in an era of grace. Brother and sister, if you are in Christ, you live in a new era. It's an era of grace. God's goodness. Think about everything that's taken to get to this point in this sermon series. None of the things that we've discussed were because of anything we've done. The cleansing of your sins. It was the blood of Jesus. The death of your old nature. It's God's willingness to see you in Christ on the cross. The new life that you live to God. It's because of Jesus raising from the dead. like All of it. We don't have anything to do with it. It's all the grace of God. Now, as we begin transitioning this sermon series and moving towards like some of the practical, how do we win our culture? How do we, you know, we yes, believe it or not, Joplin Emerson is gonna use the word politics in a sermon coming up. How do we engage our culture? How do we win the laws? What do we do in our communities? You have to understand First and foremost, how to overcome this battle where the enemy wants you to live in shame for not being able to change something God never told you to change. You just need to quit trying to change the old man. You got to realize it's dealt with. You got to present yourself to God to be used. And you have got to learn it is about grace. It's all an era of mercy and grace. You will not go anywhere in this battle until you learn to throw yourself entirely upon the grace and mercy of God. There's such an irony there. On one hand, we are to be brave warriors out blazing the trails like the disciples did and changing our culture and winning the lost. On the other hand, what keeps us humble... Is recognizing we are nothing without God. Yeah. That. Everything I have, everything I ever do for the sake of eternity that makes any difference, it will only be because of the grace of God, unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't work for it. I didn't atone for my own sins. I didn't deal with my old nature. I didn't give me new life. All of it was Jesus. All of it was God. And so it keeps me in this place of humility and humbleness where I recognize I am nothing without God. That's true on one hand, but when I turn that coin over, I recognize I am everything with God. There is nothing I cannot do. All things are possible through Christ. And so I have this sense of great confidence now because of Christ, I have thrown myself totally and completely on the grace and mercy of Jesus. And so I'm going to go forward with boldness and say, God, use me for your glory and for your kingdom. We are only victorious so long as we are in Christ. But we are always victorious when we realize we are in Christ. So our worship team gets in place this morning and just sings maybe a song of worship or invitation This is a turning point in this sermon series. It concludes the first half. I'm done dealing with the the good fight of the inner man. But this was the foundation, arguably the most important part of the sermon series. It is the way of winning the war inside our own hearts. It's the way of walking free from condemnation. It's the way of becoming truly ready to approach God with boldness and confidence and say God, here am I, send me. But now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move forward and we're going to focus on the mission. See, there is a mission for the church. There's a mission It's really a two-fold mission. We're gonna deal with that in the weeks to come. There's gonna be one kind of comma in this sermon series. Wasn't sure if I was gonna do it or not. I felt led to do it. Just a little comma, it's coming next week. And then we're gonna look at the mission. The comma next week, we're going to look at the equipment for war. You don't send warriors into battle without equipment. So here's your homework. Read Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. The outpouring and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. I want you to read it this week. And next week, I'm going to preach on that as we continue moving the sermon series forward.